Just waiting for Greg. <laughs> well, good morning. God bless you. You know, God really blessed you today. I mean, you lost an hour's sleep in a New York snowstorm and you're here. I mean, grace your reward in heaven. Um, hey, a couple things just to uh, keep you abreast of. Uh, number one, our mission group that we prayed over last week. You know, God's hand is so faithful. You know, they got delayed a couple days, but the reason was is because the, the plane had issues, had some mechanical issues. So God let them spend a night in Rochester, and they got kind of shoveled around, but they should be at KB and Angela's house today. So you can keep them in prayer. Um, I think everything's going good other than the test of patience, which I'm so glad I'm not there for. <laughs> so glad. Um, yeah, so pray for them. Guys, men's retreat April 2nd. All right, it's going to be a great time. Please sign up. There's a sign-up sheet on the other side of the wall behind Justin uh, on a board out there. Um, <clears throat> I was asked to just announce to you to keep the Ukraine in prayer. I, I've got a, I got a personal footnote to put on that. We don't know what's going on there, okay? We don't know. We know that in war there's casualties, but the media is so stinking jaded that really the only... I'm, I'm not plugged into anything. I'm unplugged from all media. I chose to do that back in January 20th. <laughs> I chose to do that. Um, but I'm just telling you that sometimes there's bigger pictures that we don't fully see. So the greatest thing we can do as the people of God is to pray to God about the situation. So just keep that in mind, okay? I'm not condoning or taking sides at all. I'm telling you, I don't know the story, and I'm not believing the reports that are coming back, all of them. So keep the Ukraine in prayer. Um, also, you know, honestly today, I, I feel really personally, I feel like, <clears throat> like the four friends who, who brought their hurting friend to Jesus and just laid him at the feet, I, I can't tell you how indebted I am to everybody here who prayed for my son. We had a crazy week, uh, but I'm so thankful that God, that Jesus is always in the storms of his people, and we rest in that. And even, you know, as it was time to go to doctor's appointments and get the test results, and when it was time for surgery, and then it was time for follow-up, I really felt like for me, you know, that God said, without faith, it's impossible to please me. So, like the psalmist says, whenever I'm afraid, I trust in you. And I try just to keep fear away from me and just trust God. And, and we really got the most excellent of reports. He did get a... Um, cornea transplant and um, several other things, but the retina was attached. And even the other day at his post-op appointment through all the swelling, all the irritation, without a light, you could still see the E on, on the depth chart that they give you at the eye doctor's appointment. So I know I just want to thank you on behalf of me and my wife and Silas. He's kind of shy, so he might not come up and, and thank you, but he is grateful. He did tell me that. And, and now we just got a long road ahead of us. But even one of the doctors uh, admitted that this was miraculous. And it was miraculous because a tomb is empty in Israel and because we've been given the gift to pray for one another. And I want to thank Martha and her ministry on the prayer chain who who in a very soft way recruits you to be a part of it. 
And when those things come across your text messages for everybody here who with their knees, for people who just prayed as they drove, whoever, thank you, we're indebted. We're totally indebted. It's a wonderful ministry and a ministry that needs to really be taken seriously. So we, we bless you in Jesus' name for all that you've done for us. Father, we, we praise you, Lord, and we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your faithful hand of grace. It was mercy, Lord. It wasn't merit. It was mercy um, that, that touched my son's eye. And I thank you for your prayer warriors here, God. We lift up our team in Africa. And, and Lord, we pray, Father, that you would just supernaturally empower them with all the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, that they need so that by the time they're there, when they leave, Lord, and come back home, that they would le- have left the touch of Jesus upon souls. And, and Lord, we, we live in a war-torn world, uh, Lord, but your word tells us that someday our swords and our spears are going to be beaten into pruning hooks and garden instruments during the millennial reign, but until then, we know it's war. And, and Father, war is ugly. And we just pray, God, for the preservation of life and most importantly for the gift of eternal life, for the empowering of the church in the Ukraine uh, to be able to seize these opportunities to bring the message of Christ. And we know that these things are birth pangs. They're only going to be on the increase before you return, Jesus. You told us that in Matthew 24. But in the meantime, we've been called to pray. So we just pray, Father, for your grace and your mercy over the poor people, probably on both sides, that are in the midst of all this. God, that you'd be merciful. Jesus, come quickly. Our world's falling apart, Lord, and you're the only hope of it. And we pray that you would prepare your church to meet you, Lord. So use today's word, Lord, to encourage our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we were in, where were we? Genesis 30, if you want to turn there. You know, there's an awesome scripture that I love in uh, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. And it says this, But now, O Lord, you're our Father. Okay, so we're talking about a faith connection. This is something people of faith get to claim to, get to hold on to. It speaks of a family relationship in the eternal realm. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and you're the potter. And we're the work of thy hand. We're looking at a man here in the, in the book of Genesis, one of the patriarchs of Israel, who is the clay that is being formed by the hand of God. And we recognize that when clay is formed, it's molded, it's being formed, it's being made, it's removing the contaminating fragments from within it so that the purpose of the potter can come to pass. And as I think about him being the clay, I'm reminded that I'm clay, and I'm reminded that you're clay, and we need to remind ourselves that we are clay. And it's so important for us to keep our lives in the hand of the potter so that he can mold, so he can make, so he can form what he has ordained and designed us to be. It's very important that we have patience in the process not just with ourselves, but with one another, knowing that God's at work. So we're picking up with Jacob. We're seeing him be informed. He's clay on the will of Almighty God. God's his potter. And we see here in verse 25 of chapter 30 that 
Rachel, who was so distraught because she couldn't have children, just gave birth to Joseph. Now, we're going to see him at the end of the book, and he's probably, want, to me, one of the most amazing men in the Bible. And really someone to pattern your, your examples after uh, is, is just seeing the kind of heart that he had for God and the work that God did in his life. So, so Joseph's born, and now Jacob gets this itch to go home, all right? Now, there's a lot of things we see here about what the will of God is, but we see here sometimes when God's will is beginning to unfold in a person's life, you know, God starts to move in the heart. You know, there starts to be these desires in the heart. You know, the Bible says, delight thyself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of his heart. That doesn't mean he becomes Jehovah genie, okay? We're just going to rub a little prayer, man, and get what I want. No, it's not like that. When you delight yourself in the Lord, you know what that means? You enjoy him so much and love him so much, there's a transfer of desires. Heaven's desires, now God's desires start to invade our desires. And he gives us those desires because you know what? Now we decide, now we desire to live a life that matters. Now we live with eternity as the lens how we see life. So we see here that he's getting ready to return home. You know, it's been 20 years. His mom, after she set up the scheme to deceive Isaac, you know, and they put the hair, the camel's hair on him to, to get the blessing of the father. She said, just go to my brothers for a few days. A few days, days turned into 20 years. And he wouldn't see his mom again. But in verse 27, or I'm sorry, 25, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, all right, this is the one he's been working for, the one that deceived him, duped him, tricked him, and 14 years of labor ends up with both his daughters. Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served thee and let me go. For you know my service which I've done to thee. Now here's the answer of Laban. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee if I found favor in thy eyes, tarry, stay here. For I've learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake because of you. And, and we don't even recognize this sometimes. And, and many people here, you're out there, you're working in the world. You work for different companies, manufacturing facilities, wherever you work. But, but God's people have the ability to bring the blessings of God and cause others to experience that. And that's exactly what was happening here in Laban's home. We're going to see it again with Joseph at the end of Genesis in Potiphar's house, how, how Potiphar's house was blessed because of Joseph. So we really do, because of the blessing of God is upon us, it has the ability to come forth from us in the places where our life takes us. And a lot of times those places are right to the very work site. You know, um, I had a local businessman here that hires some of our kids from the school, <coughs> and his testimony was this. He said, uh, he said, Jeff, there's, <laughs> there's something different about your Gilead kids up there. You know, just the blessing of what God's doing in their life actually brought a blessing to his business. So, so you know, you don't even know it, but I've seen it, and I know it, and I've observed it in some people's lives, that the place that maybe you're reporting to work tomorrow it might not be experiencing the success if it wasn't for what God was doing in you and through you there, okay? So I know you get discouraged at work, but, but trust me, um, 
There's a, there's a main reason God has you there, and he's actually blessing a lot of people because of your relationship with him. So this is what we see that's obvious, but there's something that we can see here that's not so obvious, and this we see with Laban here. Now, now Laban's an idol worshiper, okay? That's what he is. He's a pagan. And, and we see here that he says this, for I've learned by experience. So it's not, now, maybe you got a different translation, but if you got the King James like I've got, and I'm not a King James only guy, that's just, when I used to listen to Bible studies, they were teaching out of King James, and the way my brain works, I needed the same translation, okay? So, so he says here in the King James, I've learned by experience. And that word experience there literally means to practice enchantment and to use sorcery. Okay, so we're talking about tapping into the dark realm. That's how he found out. Tapping into the dark realm, uh, the, the spiritual realm, learning by experience, practicing enchantment, using sorcery. Very interesting that the New Testament word where we get sorcery from is the word pharmakia. We get our word pharmacy, and it literally means drug use. Okay, mind-altering drug use. Okay, now one of the d- things that are so dangerous that <coughs> if you turn to mind-altering drugs, is it really is a gateway for the enemy to come in through the spiritual realm and invade your life. So very important that you're aware of that. Now um, it's very possible here that he was involved in drug use to achieve an altered state of consciousness to have that spiritual interaction because in the spiritual realm obviously we recognize Ephesians 6 that there's principalities and powers and dominions and authorities we recognize that they're waging war for the souls of people doing our enemy's work and it's a danger zone Okay, danger, danger. You don't want to play with the spiritual realm, whether it's drug use, spiritism. A big thing going around in the church today is open-minded meditation. We've been never called to open our mind to meditation. Okay, the Bible actually teaches us the opposite. It says that we are to be in control of our thoughts and to take our thoughts captive and bring them to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. All right, so very important because there's a lot of big namers in the quote Christian realm that are promoting these things. So you need to be aware of that. You don't ever want to lose control of your thoughts. You want to take them captive, bring them to the obedience of Christ. In another realm where there's a lot of danger of contact in the spiritual realm is this thing that they call Christian yoga. There's no such thing as Christian yoga. All right. If it's Christian, it wouldn't be doing worship poses to Hindu deities, and that's what yoga is. All right. You want to stretch, stretch. But in the realm of yoga, that that's uh, worship poses to Hindu deities, and they really do. These are ways that our lives can get bombarded by the spiritual realm and bring a lot of adversity against us. So one of the things we got to see here, though, is that in the spiritual realm, they observe and they know. Okay, now, now think about this. I mean, if, if we could like rip open a zipper and look into the spiritual realm, I'm telling you, 
It would be worse than all the horror movies you've ever seen, all the nightmares you've ever had, all the scary stories that you've ever heard. It would be worse than that cubed on steroids, how, how freaky, how scary it would be. And it totally exists, and we see it in the Bible. But here's the thing. In Job chapter 1, this is a conversation that Satan himself had with God, and God had, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And this is what he says. You've made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on either side, you've blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. So obviously there's observation in the spiritual realm of us who are living here in, in the uh, physical realm, and this got to Laban. Laban got this experience through the enchantment, possibly drug use, very crazy stuff. Stay as far away from occultism, all that stuff as far as you possibly can because it's a danger zone in the spiritual realm. He said this unto him, appoint me my wages and I'll, and I'll give it to you because Jacob's like, I'm bailing out of here. Now Laban's getting a little serious. Say, Look at man, I don't want you to go. You've been blessing me. So he said unto him, you know how I've served thee and how thy cattle have been with me for it was little which thou had before I came and now it's increased into a multitude. And so, so right his cattle, his, his prosperity, Laban's prosperity has taken off like crazy. And look what he says here. And the Lord hath blessed thee. Look where all the credit's going. You know, he's not patting himself on the pack. He's given all the glory to God. This was God's work. This is what God was doing. And he was getting, given all the credit to the Lord for what had taken place here since my coming. And now when shall I provide for my own house also? So we're going to find out here in the next chapter that actually the only ones that we know at this point that know the truth are Jacob and Laban and God is that, that Laban actually continued to cut Jacob's wages 10 times. We're going to find out in the next chapter. So this is what he's experienced. The harder he worked, the worse he got treated. He got demoted even though his work was being prospered. He was being wrong. Remember, he's dealing with a con man. He's dealing with a man in the mirror. But this was all part of the molding. This was all part of the clay on the wheel of God. And God's doing a great work through, labor, or through Jacob through all this. So he said, what shall I give thee? And Jacob said, thou shalt not give me anything. If you'll do this one thing, I will again feed and keep your flock. I'm going to pass you the flock today, and I'm going to remove from you the speckled and the spotted cattle, the brown cattle among the sheep, and the spotted and speckled amongst the goats, and of such shall be my hire. Okay, so that's what he's saying. If you will, go with me to Luke chapter 5 just for a moment. Now, Jacob, at this point of the story, in Genesis 30, he's a shepherd, all right? And I want you to look at who the shepherd, the shepherd chose, okay? He, he chose the ones that, that were speckled, they were the spotted ones, they, they, out of the cattle, out of the goats. So those were the ones that, that weren't like the good quality, all right? They weren't the purebreds. They weren't the ones that the farmers wanted, that they coveted after. These were kind of the discards. They were the imperfect, the least desired, the blemished, the rejected. Some of them were castaways. They were even disregarded, okay? And that's who that shepherd chose. Now, as we 
think about that, we think about our Lord's good, great physician. And I love what happened because Jesus shows up on the scene, right? And he's asked a question, or his disciples are actually asked a question that he answers. And he's like, why do you, Jesus and, and you guys, why do you hang out and eat with tax collectors, uh, the publicans and the sinners? Why? And, and Jesus answered and he said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. He answers this question. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And as we look at this, if you will look at Luke chapter 5, verse 5, we've referenced this before. Jesus asked Peter if he caught anything. No. Go out into the deep, let down your nets, plural. Peter gives them, pacifies them with a net, singular. Verse 6 says, And when they had this done, they enclosed such a great multitude of fishes that they break, and, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were of the other ship, that they should come and help them. And, and they came and they filled both the ships, so they began to sink. And when Peter saw it, he fell down on his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So, so what do we see here? We see an acknowledgement. We see a proper perspective of himself. He saw himself in the spiritual state. Now at this time, Peter didn't have a broken arm. He didn't have a broken leg. It, it, it wasn't like he hurt his back or anything like that. He's taken it beyond the physical physician. He's taken it to the spiritual physician. That he saw fruit in his life that had a root to it that was a spiritual issue that he couldn't fix himself and he needed the spiritual doctor, Jesus Christ, to heal him of that. So that's what we see here. Depart from me, I am a sinful man. So it wasn't just the recognition of that. You see, maybe you know that about yourself, the way Peter did. You know, we see our spots, we see our blemishes, we see we're kind of like that, those sheep and those cattle that kind of are, have so many imperfections, but, but nevertheless, we see that Jesus, you know, has still given us the opportunity to be a part of his flock, you know, the way Jacob chose those to be a part of his flock. You look at your struggles, you look at your hangups, you look at, you know, issues that you just have battled with for years or anything. You're not rejected by the shepherd. You're actually accepted by the shepherd. He wants you as part of his flock, part of his fold. So when Peter says that, depart from me, he recognizes himself as a So there's this an awareness, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than that if we want to experience the touch of Jesus Christ, the good physician, and then go forward having a life of victory, even though we might have battles and struggles and we might trip up from time to time, but we will be able to triumph. We will be able to experience victory, prosperity. We can go from faith to faith, strength to strength, and glory to glory. Because it wasn't just the acknowledging of this, that I'm a sinful man. But in verse 11, look what it says. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and they followed him. They followed him. You see, it's not just acknowledging your need for the great physician, but it's your willingness now to go and follow the great physician. That's what Peter did. 
And Peter's life was touched. Peter's life was transformed. We can all identify with Peter. And he denies Jesus three times. And, 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 and you know, Jesus does a great work in his life, uses him primarily through the first portion of the book of Acts, writes a couple of epistles through him. Why? Because he acknowledged his need, and then he followed Christ. He followed Jesus. It's so important. You know, the other day when my son had that piece of PVC go flying into his eye that punctured his eye and all the liquid started coming out, I'm so glad he didn't just lay there acknowledging his pain and his illness and the fact that he needed a doctor, but he went and did something about it. And sometimes I think for us, you know, it's really, we can sit there and we can acknowledge these things, we can see these things in our life, but it's about time sometimes we do something about it. And maybe following Christ, what his word has to say about that area of life and actually doing it. We're not called to be hearers. We're not here just to you know, get an academic lesson, but we need the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to go live the things that we claim to believe and the things that we've been taught and the things that we've read for the glory of God. That's what's so important. You know, we might be the spotted, shackled sheep that have been disregarded by the world, but God wants to work those blemishes and those spots out of our lives and take us to glory to glory. It's about progressing in our walk with the Lord. You know, he didn't call us just to be a lump of clay on the wheel, but to actually be formed by his work and our yielding to it into becoming a vessel of honor, fit and meat for the master's use. That's what God wants to do. So you can go back to Genesis with me. You know, we've got... We've got a shepherd here that we're looking at in the Scripture by the name of Jacob. Shepherding his, his father-in-law's sheep. Um, talked about Jesus, who's a good shepherd. You know, David would write about him. And, and we see what an honor it is to be a part of God's flock. But So what do we do? You know, sometimes we look at these things like, well, what do I do? Because, you know, I understand this biblically. I see what happened with Peter. But, but what can I do to allow Jesus Christ to do the work in my life with all my blemishes, <laughs> to make me everything that he's ordained me to be before the foundation of the world. So someday that when I stand before him, I could say that I lived a faithful life and I accomplished my purpose for the glory of God and the kingdom. I think this is what we do. And I'm reminded of another shepherd by the name of David. He was the shepherd of Israel. He was the anointed of God. He was an anointed king. He was the prince of Israel. He was the shepherd of Israel. And in 1 Samuel 22, you don't have to turn there. It says that David therefore departed and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brother and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there was about 400 men. So, so what does David get here? He gets 400 guys that were full of anguish, debt, and bitterness. Okay, that's who they were. That's who these individuals were. That's 1 Samuel 22. In 2 Samuel 23, what happens to these individuals? It goes on to say, 
that verse 8, that these names of these mighty men who David, the Tekamite, that sat in the seat chief among the captains, his name was Adino, and it goes through and it lists all these individuals, but they go, there's a transformation from distress, debt, discontentment to David's mighty men, which literally means strength, they were heroic, and these individuals were warriors. And what's the difference? It's so simple. How do you go from being an individual with all his blemishes of distress, debt, and discontent, anguish, debt, bitterness, to an individual who's full of God's strength, heroic in, in, a, in a battle for souls, and just a warrior for the kingdom of God? You know what the difference was between 1 Samuel 22 and 2 Samuel 23? They hung out with the king. They spent their time with the king. They spent their time with David. Look at the transformation. You and I, we got the king of kings. We got the prince of peace. And we got the shepherd of our souls. And it's so important for us that we actually allow ourselves to spend time with him because his influence will prevail in our lives. Prevail. It's not just about serving God, it's sitting with God, sitting with Christ, and allowing him to do the work that only he can do in our lives. So if you're not back at Genesis, turn there. We're in Genesis chapter 30, verse 33. So that's what he wanted. Laban, look, at I want all the cattle, all the goats you don't want. Those are who I want. In verse 33, says this, so shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come when it come from my hire before thy face, every one that's not speckled, spotted among the goats and brown among the sheep, it shall be accounted stolen with me. Okay? So here's the bottom line. You know what he said here? My life's going to speak of my integrity. My life will speak of my integrity. That's exactly what happened with Samuel. You know, Samuel, when they wanted to choose a king, he came and said, what did I take from you? What did I do? Didn't I, you know, and, and really he just let the testimony of his life speak. So look at, we got to let our lives speak. Allow an integrity of heart from the work of God in your life to speak. It's going to have greater influence than anything your mouth can even say. A life of integrity speaks a greater influence than anything our mouths can say. He said, you know what? I'm just going to live a God-honoring life. I'm going to trust God with everything because here's the bottom line. In your life, there's going to be false accusations. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. In the Bible, Jesus told us, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. But he said this, blessed are you when, not if, but when. You're going to be reviled, when they'll revile you, persecute you. And say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Here's the bottom line. We're called to rejoice, not to retaliate. We're called to rejoice. Pride retaliates. It's vengeful. It's bitter and it defends itself. Jesus said, don't do that. Let your life speak. Okay? In, in the past, I've, I've gone through false accusations in my life. First thing I got to do is examine it, make sure it's false. <laughs> right? So you go through false accusations, and, and I've been content with this over the years. And I've told people this. You know what? There's got to be a pendulum set, and there's got to be my life on one side of it and my accuser's life on the other, and that individual needs to let the pendulum swing. If I live a life that honors God and pleases God, then that's all I'm called to do. And then I let people make their own judgments. 
I think one of the things that, that is so amazing that you and I are partakers of the divine nature. So that means that the deposit of the very nature of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us once we're saved. And, and I love what was said when they brought Jesus before Pilate. What did he say? I find no fault in this man about those things which you accuse him. Pilate found no fault in him. The accusations were there. It didn't take away the accusations. They were there, but you know what? He made a judgment. Look at I'm, I'm, I'm looking at what you're saying, man. I don't find any accusation with him about what you're saying. And did Jesus defend himself? Did he call down angels and smoke people? I might have. He didn't. Accusations, you know, things against you, they go with the position of being a born-again Christian. They go with the position of being the light of the world. They go with the position of being vessels of truth. They go with the position of being Christ-like. He says, my righteousness will answer for me. Let your righteousness, the inworking of God, let that be what answers for you. So we look at this next section here. And I'm telling you, I've got an opportunity to scratch my head for two weeks over this thing, but I think I got the answer. And I didn't find it in a commentary. I didn't hear anybody else say it either. I think I found it myself. So he's got these herds, right? And, and Laban, man, he's like, man, I'm not going to make sure that you're not breeding the speckled with my purebreds because if it's speckled, it's yours, man. So he takes his kids, get his flock, get those speckled spotted on, get them three days away from here. And then... Jacob's got to take care of the purebreds of Laban's flock. So verse 37 says this, Jacob took him rods of poplar, okay? So he's got these poplar sticks and, and hazel and chestnut trees. So he's going around and he's picking up brush and he peeled white streaks in them. So, you know, like when you're a kid and you made a spear outside, you know, shoot at your brother or whatever, you'd, you'd kind of... Whew, just whittle that thing and, and, you know, you get beyond the bark and it's like white streaked. All right. And, and he set the rods, which were pilled or white streaked before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink that they should conceive when they came to drink. So it created them to kind of go into heat and be impregnated. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle. And look at the cattle they brought forth, rinstrake, speckled, and spotted. The purebreds are given spotted uh, cattle, <coughs> which go to Jacob. And Jacob did separate the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the ringstrake and all the brown in the flock of Laban. And he put his own flocks by themselves and put them not into Laban's cattle. So he, even with his integrity, he kept them separated. It came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the gutter that they might conceive amongst those rods. And when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in. So when a healthy animal came up, he'd put those streaked uh, uh, sticks in front of them, and, and the the good cattle man they they would give offspring, and the offspring would be speckled, and and they would go into Laban or into Jacob's uh, herd. But when the weaker ones came up, he'd take them away, and they would have like a regular one that would actually end up being uh, Laban's. So we look at this, okay, and this will really change your life forever. This right here, you go home get some sticks, man. You can have a lot of puppies by the afternoon, and. <laughs> And the, man, and the man increased exceedingly, and they had much cattle and maidservants and men servants and camels and donkeys. So what is this? Is this a breeding technique or what? Well, here's the bottom line. 
the next chapter really alludes to the fact that, that God saw what Jacob was going through. And God told him what to do. And he did it, and God blessed it. Here's what I'm here to tell you. In Exodus 14, with millions of Israelites pinned to the Red Sea and Pharaoh closing in far behind, God told them, go forward, not towards Pharaoh, towards the sea. (coughs) Told Moses, lift up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Naaman the leper came to the prophet And the prophet told him that God said to go wash in the Jordan seven times. And after he did, his flesh was like that of a little child. In Judges chapter 6, Gideon had an army of 32,000 to go against 135,000 Midianites. God said, you got too many people. You're going to take the credit. Whittled it down to 10. Still wasn't good enough. Got him down to 300. And 300 won a battle over 135,000 Midianites. Joshua's looking to take Jericho. He's told to walk around the city one time for six days with seven priests and seven trumpets going before the ark. On the seventh day, you go around Jericho seven times. The priests are to blow the trumpet with a long blast and everybody is to shout with a great shout and the city will come crashing down, which it did. The Red Sea opened for Moses The skin of Naaman the leper was restored like the skin of a little child. Gideon won a great battle against 135,000 with only 300 men. And the walls of Jericho, Jericho had flattened before Joshua. And one of the things that we've got to say here, we've got to ask ourselves truly in this life, am I going to walk by human logic or am I going to walk by resolute trust? because one will see everything, the other one will see nothing. God's looking for us to trust him. Where does the hand of God move? Does it move in human logic? Or does it move in resolute trust? And where do I choose to walk? Those are the questions that we got to ask ourselves as the people of God. In the life of faith, obedience is always designed to triumph over logic. Always. What did they do? They simply did what God told them to do. And because they did what God told them to do, God was faithful. There is amazing things that we can see on the path of obedience. When we're just, hey, it doesn't make sense to me, Lord, but if you said it, we're going to do it. And that's what God blesses. So we're going to fly through this chapter. I'm not going to read it all, but this is really what happens when when God's getting ready to move somebody. First of all, we see that the desire was in Jacob's heart. Now, he's dealing with a con man, Laban, all right? And he's got his wives and he's got his kids, and, and, it, and it's time for him to go home. Uh, one of the things that we see, you know, it's kind of a reiteration of what God just did in chapter 30. He's telling his wives. But, but what we see here. Uh, it says in verse 14, Rachel and Leah answered and said, is there any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted as strangers for he sold us and hath quite devoured also our money? You know, and it's a sad thing, but that's the character of this father. And, and over the years, I've just been blown away. Um, but it's a sign of the times that we live in that even though Laban may have been written in the father section 
of their birth certificate, he wasn't a father to them. You know, you can see the treatment. What did he do? He actually used them. He had no dowry for their wedding. You know, they, he, they took advantage of them, married off the oldest sister first, then the younger one. What did he get out of it? He got 14 years, basically, of low-paying labor. And, and we look at that, and, you know, the bottom line is, is, is God tells us that he would be a father to the fatherless, and he really needs to be, especially in these days, because one of the signs of the days that we're living in is that there would be the absence of natural f- affection, and that literally means that, that family love would dissipate. Where there should be love, protection, kindness, provision, it will just dissipate because the days that we live in will become so narcissistic and so self-absorbed and self-focused that, that people wouldn't look upon the needs of where they should be looking right on their own family. But God's a father to the fatherless. And then so as they leave, Rachel, verse 19, and Laban went to shear his sheep. So he's heading out to shear his sheep. And, and Jacob's like, man, this is a time to bolt out of here. It's going to be like three days before he figures it out. But in verse 19, it says, and, and Laban went to shear his sheep. And Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. They were the household gods, the teraphim. It literally means to inquire. These were the images that they would inquire of. Now, let's go to Psalm 115. And we're probably going to be close to closing out here. You know, sometimes I think as the people of God, we just need to be reminded of how much we have to be grateful for and how much we should appreciate having the resurrected Christ in our life. So Psalm 115, so, so, so Laban's idols are stolen. Rachel steals them. And, and as they take off, Laban catches up with them. God warns them, you don't do anything good or bad to him. You know, God had already protected him from that. And, and he says, here's the worst thing, you know, I'm, just giving you a brief synopsis of this chapter, is that, and now, though thou wouldn't he be gone because you long for your father's house, yet how come you stole my gods? Okay, so this guy's in trouble because somebody kidnapped his god. Somebody abducted the god that he worshipped and served. And look at this, Psalm 115, verse 2 says, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their god? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Look, there's a multitude of people who walk this earth and they follow false religions and false gods. All right, there's a multitude of people who are involved in cults. They have a Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not our Jesus. Okay, it's not Jesus creator. It's Jesus created. All right, different Jesus. Paul warned about counterfeit gospel, counterfeit Christ. He warned about that. Their idols are silver and gold, the works of men's hands. Okay, so men make the idols. (laughs) We were made in the image of God by God. They have mouths, but they speak not. We've been given the word of God to speak into our life. We have a living Savior that speaks truth to us every day of our lives, speaks wisdom into our lives, speaks situational things into our lives. If our ears are open to hear what he has to say. Eyes they have, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. The Word of God tells us that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and His ears open unto their prayer. Sometimes I think we just need to realize how how extremely blessed we are that there's one living God and He's the one we serve. He's our God. He's the one that left behind an empty tomb 2,000 years ago. They have hands, but they handle not. Nehemiah knew about the good hand of God that was on him. I know that God's hand was on my son this week. 
Feet they have, but they walk not. David said that even when he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he'd fear no evil, for the Lord was with him. God was walking with him. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusts in them. Laban had an idol that couldn't speak, that couldn't see, that couldn't hear, that couldn't smell, that couldn't walk. And Jacob was walking with the true God. So on his way, he had it in his heart to actually probably kill Jacob. He was that fired up. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Verse 29 in Genesis 31 says, It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. I could hurt you, Laban saying. He had an entourage with him. But, okay, but the God of your father, not his God, Jacob's God, spake unto me yesterday night saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Here's the bottom line. You know what happens here? Now, He could have really got taken out, but God looked out for him. Why? Because back in verse 13, this is what God told him. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, and where you vowest to vow unto me. Now rise, get thee out of this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. The word of God is the will of God. And when we're living inside the will of God, that is where we find the protection of God. There's no guarantees if you want to get outside of the scriptures that the great protection of God will be there the way it is inside of the scriptures. And that's what we see here. God spoke to him. He's doing what God said. This guy was going to kill him, and God intervened, and God protected him. So as he kind of lets Laban have it a little bit, um, verse 44 says, Now therefore come now, let us make a covenant, me and you, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar, And Jacob said unto his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones, made a heap, and they did eat upon the heap. And Laban called it, whatever, Jergarsahada. Nailed it. But but Jacob called it Galid. I like his version better. But it literally means a heap of witness, okay? And, And then Laban said, This heap of witness between me this day, therefore the name of it was called Galid, and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent from one another. If you're going to afflict my daughters or if thou shalt take otherwise beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness between me and thee. So basically it means, you know, a lot of times we use that mizpah. We use it as a nice thing to say, you know, oh, the Lord watch between me and thee. And when we're absent from one another, may he be looking over us. It literally means if you come over on my side of this line, the pact is void. I'm going to kill you. That's what it means. Okay. You take that nice little card you got for Valentine's Day that was misquoted, tear it up because somebody just gave you a death sentence. No, I'm just kidding. But, but this is what it means. It, If you come over on my side of the line, the pact is void, and I will kill you. That's what Laban's telling him. So the line's been drawn, right? You can't go back because Laban's threatening to kill him. And the last time he saw his brother, he said, as soon as dad dies, you're dead meat. Literally, dead. So what's he got? He's got death behind him, death in front of him. But fortunately, he's learning how to trust God. And you know, when you learn how to trust God, God works situations out that you didn't think could work out. And that's what we're going to see in the upcoming chapters. So Father, we thank you that, that throughout your word, Lord, that, that we look at examples like, like Jacob. And Lord, how you're teaching this, this man to, to really 
just trust you. Not to lean on his own logic or his own understanding, but to really trust you with all of his heart. And Lord, what an important thing we could glean because God, like, like we saw that, that you just want us to take the things that you're speaking into our lives, Lord, and, and you want us to, to follow you as we live them out in our daily lives. And I pray, God, really that, <clears throat> that, that we wouldn't settle for anything less than biblical integrity in our lives, that, that you, you lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. And, and Lord, really, it, it's our, our life that really answers and gives testimony of, of who we really are in our character. So we're, we're very thankful, Lord, that you're in our life, and, and we're very thankful, God, that when we look at these things, how exciting it can be when we just take you at your word and just do what your word tells us to do. Do what you're asking of us in our lives and not trying to reason things out or think things out or logistically figure things out, but just when you speak, that we would have a heart to do. So... We bless you, Lord, and we thank you. <clears throat> As we started today, Lord, we're reminded that Jacob was a, clay, a lump of clay that you were molding into something wonderful. And so aren't we. And so isn't the person sitting next to us and the people sitting behind us and in front of us. And I pray, God, that as the days go on, that we would just keep ourselves yielded to the molding of your hands in our life because, God, we want to be something that's really pleasing in your sight and something that's very honoring and helping with the furthering of your kingdom before you come back for your church. So I ask your richest blessing over all the lives that are in here today and the families that they represent. We thank you, Lord, that you're sovereign. We're thankful, Lord, that, that as we look at people following false gods that can be stolen that you are God who sits in the heavens, who has control over all things, and you have our best interest at hand. We rest in you. We thank you that you're worthy of all of our trust. And we pray that our trust in you would increase, Lord, with the days that go by. In Jesus' name, amen. You can all stand. You are God in heaven, and here am I on earth. So I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I am so in love with you. And I'll stand in of you, Jesus. Yes, I'll stand in of you, Jesus. And I'll let my words be few, Jesus. So in love with you, simplest of our love songs, 
Next week, we get to see Jacob's wrestling match. <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, here, here's the bottom line. You know, maybe you see these blemishes and spots in your life, and, and you know, you, you're seeing some of the fruit, but maybe the reason is is because of what's going on in the root. And, and, and really, if you don't know if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, maybe you can acknowledge him. Yeah, he died on the cross and all that, but you really haven't come to that point of, making him your Lord and Savior, not your get-out-of-hell-free ticket, but your Lord and Savior where you're choosing to follow him? You know, we'd love to pray with you. Love to give you a Bible. You need prayer about anything. But God bless you. And again, from my family, thank you so much for your prayers. Have a great day.